0: let's open our Bibles to Isaiah, please, Isaiah chapter 66, Isaiah, or I believe you guys would say Yesiah, Isaiah chapter 66, and we'll begin this morning by reading verses 1 to 5, Isaiah 66, verses 1 to 5, and I'd like to preach to you this morning a sermon entitled, Catching God's Eye, catching God's eye. Isaiah sixty-six and verse one. The Bible says, "Thus saith the Lord: The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Just think about that for a moment, if you would. Would you just draw that mental picture of of the vastness of the the immenseness of God?" Heaven is his throne. Have you ever just taken a, taken a moment in the middle of the evening to step outside and behold the stars, the, the handiwork of, of our Creator? That's his throne. He stretches out his legs and he places his feet down the earth. This massive rock on which we live is just his footstool. This is God's comment about his own situation. The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? Now, in just a few moments, we'll expand on why God is asking the Israelites this question. But for the sake of your understanding, they were placing a greater emphasis on the temple than they were supposed to. God says, you're making a big deal out of the building and you think that just because you built a building for me that I'm going to show up there, that I will rest or dwell or abide there. He says, guys, heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. I don't need little old you to build me a little old building. (laughs) Verse 2, for all those things hath mine hand made. And all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look. Here's what catches God's eye. Even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. And then verse 3, tremendous verse. He that killeth an ox. Now that was one of the sacrifices the Israelites were known to bring. He that killeth an ox is as if he slew a man. Oh, what a statement. He that sacrificeth a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. For the Jews, that's an unclean animal. That's an abomination. He that offereth an oblation as if he offered swine's blood. That's the equivalent of smacking God in the face. God made it very clear that these animals were never, never to be part of the sacrificial process. God says, you guys are bringing oxen and lambs and various oblations. But to me, it's as if you're murdering someone. To me, it's as if you're slapping me in the face with these sacrifices you're bringing to my house. He continues on. He that burneth incense as if he blessed an idol. Idolatry. He says at the end of verse 3, Yea, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth in their abominations. Again, draw the mental image in your mind. The people are coming... To the temple, they're bringing what they believe are not only acceptable but pleasing sacrifices. They delight in what they do. They think that this is a wonderful gesture to God. And God says to me, It's as if you're nothing but unclean, murderous idolaters in my house. In verse 4. I also will choose their delusions and will bring their fears upon them. Why? Because when I called, none did answer. When I spake, they did not hear. But they did evil before mine eyes and chose that in which I delighted not. Verse 5, Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at His word. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, let let the Lord be glorified. Do you see what's happening? There were a bunch of people in the temple offering sacrifices. Their heart was not right. There were people that feared God truly, that trembled at His word. They had the right attitude. And the religious crowd castigated them, cast them out, and while they said, get away from us, you people aren't serving God correctly, they said, to God be the glory, that religious crowd. And these Bible-believing, Bible-fearing, poor and contrite spirit people, they were cast out. It says at the end of verse 5, But he shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. I draw your attention especially to two phrases in two verses. In verse 2, To this man will I look. They are catching God's eye. And in verse 4, I want you to see it as well. At the end of the verse, They did evil before mine eyes they also caught God's eye but in the wrong way with that would I ask you to please bow your heads with me let's, let's ask God for his help this morning Father we come to you in Jesus name thank you for the blessing to meet together and Lord this is a borrowed schoolroom, but we're not here because of the building we're here to meet with you we are here to hear from you please God I'm not sufficient to do this I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit and anoint my lips afresh. And I pray you please speak to our hearts this morning. God, for not only the people in this room, but the people listening in their, in their homes, I pray that you'd please minister to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've read in this passage about catching God's eye. Now, this is the equivalent of saying that God is, is looking upon you with favor, right? If you've caught his eye in the right way, he's looking upon you with favor and what a high compliment. What a great achievement that is for any human being. Let me ask you this. And is there, I'm sure there has been, but maybe I'll phrase it this way. What catches your eye? What is it that gets your attention? Usually there's two things that catches our eye. Two reasons that something would catch our eye. Number one, if something is unexpected, right? Some rare thing is taking place in front of us, it would get our attention. It would catch our eye. Either that or you have a great interest in a particular thing and that thing presents itself in front of you and therefore it would catch your eye. Whereas if somebody's not so interested in it, they could see the same thing and not even recognize that it's there. I'll give you an illustration of what I mean in, in both ways. <clears throat> when I first came to South Africa, people tried to get me involved in watching rugby. They really put a lot of time and effort into that. The first man to evangelize me for the cause of rugby, he was a Stormers fan. Uh, now, I didn't realize that that's not so popular in this part of the country, but... He was the first one to reach me. So I I bought a Stormers jersey and I went to his house and we watched a rugby game together. We watched the Stormers beat the Sharks and you know he was really excited. I really wasn't sure what I had just seen. (laughs) But, because you know how it is when you don't know the game. Why did he do that? Why didn't they stop? Why did he blow the whistle? Why are they kicking? Why are they throwing? I I didn't know. I didn't know. Now, I, I remember one day trying to watch a Blue Bulls Match. I can't see because of the mask. I can't see how many of you are smiling at that. So I don't know how many Blue Bulls fans we have here, but I I remember they 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 gave a a a shot of the crowd. Right, the camera went up to the crowd, and you can see people cheering and jumping, and all of that is it's expected. At a rugby match, right? None of that stands out. And you're panning through the crowd, and there's a bunch of, you know, frickies up in the crowd, yo, 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 waving their bill around. I mean, it's all exciting. And then they they got to one guy. He had taken his shirt off and painted himself blue. Now, now, see, here's the problem. For most of you, that's that's not unexpected. <laughs> That's not even that rare. You look at that and go, yep, it's a Blue Bulls game. (laughs) What do you expect? Of course, he's going to be painted blue, and that doesn't even catch your eye. Now, I must admit, right, in America, we also have sporting events, and people do take off their shirts and paint themselves the appropriate color. So, it didn't surprise me that much. You know what really did shock me? Not the guy painted blue, But the person a few rows up that was wearing a Stormers jersey at a Blue Bulls game, and the Stormers weren't even playing against the Blue Bulls. If I'm not mistaken, it was the Sharks versus the Bulls, and there's a Stormers jersey. Now, that was completely unexpected and very rare to find that, and I thought, now hmm I wonder if anybody else sees the problem with that guy I wonder if other other oaks were making fun of him saying you're in the wrong stadium <laughs> what are you doing here now that's the unexpected you understand what I mean by that other times things might be of interest to you right? you have a special interest in them I, some of you are computer and I hope this is an appropriate term you're a computer geek I think that's the right term. You're a geek, a nerd. When I was growing up, a geek and a nerd, that was something shameful. Somebody called you a nerd. You're like, oh, man. Now you get paid more at your job. You, you put that on your CV. I Ekkas a geek, ekas a nerd, a leka nerd. and that somehow helps. I, that's new to me right people come around they, they look at a computer you know they get all excited they walk past and somebody's got their laptop and their pc out and then they talk they say hey man how many gigabytes of ram do you have working on the rom and is it a floppy disk with hardware or is it a soft drive or a hard drive or a software i i don't know i don't know right to me hey look it's a computer <laughs> <laughs> Where's the on button? (laughs) I struggle to get the thing to turn on sometimes. That's not of great interest to me. Now, some of you, you go by and you know all the specs and the details of it. It catches your eye. And that's perfectly fine. You're allowed to have whatever interest you would like to have. I know for a long time, even to this day, it still happens. After I got saved, I got very interested in Bibles. Now, you understand what I mean? I I got interested in the Bible. But I also got interested in various editions. You have the Schofield edition. So it's still a King James Version of the Bible, but but Mr. Schofield put his notes in it. And then there are other uh, church publisher, they put out various editions of the Bible. They have different notes. Some of you have a Hoffman Bible, you have his notes at the bottom. So I would go, you know, around the church and look at the uh, members with their Bibles. I'd say, hey, what kind of Bible do you have? What what kind of Bible do you have? And we would compare, you know, how big your margin is and what kind of cross-references you have. And did you know that you can tell what edition or what what, uh, publisher made a Bible by the smell of it? You can, you can. Well, you may not know, but I know. You could just, yep, yep, that one was made in such and such a place and it has this kind of leather. You can have a, a calf skin, a lamb skin. Oh, if you have a lamb skin Bible, you're closer to Jesus. <laughs> I actually bought a Bible once that had a lamb skin cover just because I thought, well, that's got to be extra special. <laughs> it, what, the, the pages inside weren't that great, but it was interesting to me. Right? The page quality wasn't good, but it was a lambskin cover. So I remember holding on to that Bible, just, just rubbing on the surface of it, hoping it would rub off on me. right? I wanted to be covered in the lamb. <laughs> now, I, I remember once in Malawi, a guy came to me. and He said, Yeah, Pastor Mike, can you please help me with a Bible? I said, uh, I said Sure. What, what kind of Bible would you like? Now, to give you a little context, I wanted to know do you want an English Bible? or a Chichewa Bible. But I, I worded my question in a clumsy way. I just said, what kind of Bible do you want? And it just so happened that the, the Malawian Bible Society had just made a, a fresh batch of Chichewa Bibles and they put a brand new cover on them. It was the 50th year uh, commemorating the, the Bible Society. So instead of a normal Black or blue cover, they put a cover on that had a, it was the Malawian flag. So it was a multicolored cover and there were a lot of Malawians that rejected it because the cover was wrong. The words on the inside were exactly the same. But they would not touch it. It was a Chechewa Bible. They said, no, 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 wrong cover. So I asked this gentleman, what kind of Bible? And, <laughs> and he said, yeah, I, I don't want the funny colored Bible. I said, okay, fair enough. I said, so, so you, want a, you want a Chewa Bible? He said, uh, I, want, uh, I want the Holy Bible. <laughs> I said, you want the Holy Bible? Now, you know that a, even my Bible here, a lot of Bibles have that printed on the front cover, of the Holy Bible, or as mine is just Holy Bible. He said, I just want a Holy Bible. I like that. See, that's fair enough. That's all you need to know. I want to get my hands on the Holy Bible, the one with no mistakes, the one that will lead me right. I don't know what catches your eye, but no doubt it'll be one of those two categories, something unexpected or something that is of great interest to you. I think the same thing applies to God. When something catches God's eye in the right way, it is something unexpected or rare and it is something of great interest to him now what do you think it could be that falls into both categories something that is rare you don't find it very often and in the sight of God this is of great price this is very valuable this is very interesting to him when he does see it he stops and he marvels have you ever read that part in the Gospels where the Bible says Jesus marveled at someone. Do you know where that story appears in Luke chapter 7? It's a Gentile that has sent some friends to go and ask Jesus to come and heal his servant. And the man sent word and Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. And the man sent word said, you don't have to come. To my house. I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. Say the word, and my servant shall be healed. And the Bible says that Jesus marveled at this man and he said, What great faith! He said, I haven't found this kind of faith in all of Israel. That man got Jesus' attention. So much so that he said, Now that is unexpected, that's rare, and that's interesting to me. Wouldn't you like to catch God's eye in that way? Let me ask you to hold Isaiah 66, but also in your left hand, get Isaiah chapter 1, please. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah 1 and verse 10. And I'd like to give you a little bit of context for what was happening in Israel that provoked God to say what he said in chapter 66. So my first point this morning as we look at catching God's eye, I want to talk about this point. It's not buildings. It's not buildings that God is interested in. It's not the building. Now let me build on that point. Isaiah 6 or Isaiah 1 rather, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord Ye rulers of Sodom. Ouch. He's speaking to the Jews, but he calls them Sodomites. You see, he's naming them after their behavior. Ye rulers of Sodom, give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? Notice, he didn't say, what sacrifices are you bringing? Do you see what the Lord is asking? What's the purpose? Why'd you bring it? Can I apply this to us this morning? Why'd you come? It's a sacrifice, especially in these days, right? To leave the safety of your home and come and be a part of a public gathering. There is a certain risk involved, more than the typical Sunday. Listen, every Sunday you come to church, right? Whether it was last year or five years ago, there's always a risk of, of catching something but i understand this is a, a, a greater risk in these days but what's the purpose of you coming those of you listening by youtube you've set aside time you, you could have put this off you could have just skipped church but yet you're sitting and listening but what's the purpose what's the intention of your heart Let's keep reading in verse 11, "To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks and of, or of lambs or of he-goats. Those are all things that God told the Israelites to bring to the altar. And yet now God says, "I don't delight in that." is god contradicting himself no 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 god wanted them to bring the proper sacrifice but for the right purpose let's keep reading verse 12 when ye come to appear before me who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts bring no more vain oblations what does it mean to be vain it has no purpose Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons, that's the first day of the month, and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, that's what we're doing today, assembling, I cannot away with. We would say, I can't get this out of my presence fast enough. That's what God's say. I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. So the people were coming to the temple consistently, having these very solemn moments. We are here to worship in the presence of God. Very solemn, very stiff, very rigid, very, very official. You know? And they I bless thee in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And and God said, I hate that. I hate that. Look, look, keep reading, you'll see it. Verse 14, Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. God says I am sick and tired of it. The, the Israelites were delighting in it. They thought they were doing it spot on. And God said, I am so tired of looking at this. Verse 15. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Folks, they were in the building. And they thought, because we are going through the motions of coming to the building, the temple, and offering these burnt offerings and sacrifices, well, then we've gone through the motions, and surely God will look on us with favor. God did behold the evil they were doing with his eyes, but when he saw it, then he said, I don't want to see that anymore. And he turned his eyes away. He says, I will hide my eyes when you start to pray. I am so tired. Of men thinking that because they're in the right building, that somehow that brings upon them the blessing of God. It's not the building. Hold your place, if you would, in Isaiah 66, because we're coming back to that. Flip over to Matthew, if you would, chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24 and and look with me in verse number one. Matthew 24, verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the what? The buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. When you read this story in the other Gospels, you actually find out it was Judas who was leading the charge of telling Jesus about the beautiful buildings of the temple. Now, the other disciples were involved as well, but one of the other Gospels specifically mentions Judas pointing this out, saying, look, Jesus, look at how beautiful these buildings are. Isn't this impressive? Jesus said, it's all going down. Not one stone will be left upon another. Don't put your trust in a beautiful building. Don't think because the ambiance, are we good with that word? The ambiance, the, the surrounding, the, the, the setting, the feeling you get when you come in the place, the vibe. You can decorate it. You can put Christian posters and Christian sayings and hang the right pictures in the place. You can have you know the, the, light, the lighting set just right. You can have the backdrop you can have beautiful pews and chairs you can do everything. make it feel Christian when you walk in and that God says I'm not looking for the right building it's not the building you're in Matthew look at chapter 23 verse number 16 here's the problem that Jesus one of the problems Jesus faced while he was on earth Isaiah that happened in 720 BC This is almost, well, a little more than 700 years later, 750 years later, Jesus is still struggling with this. Verse 16, Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. You see, these people were putting an emphasis on the beauty of the building, this outward appearance, but look at how, how grand our church building is. He says in verse 17, Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold. He said, guys, it's not the decoration. It's the purpose of the building. Is there anything wrong with a church building? No. God commanded Israel to build a tabernacle. He commanded them to build a temple, didn't he? There's nothing wrong with that. And he commanded it to be done in a very beautiful way. But he never intended for anyone to assume because they have approached and are in a beautiful building, that means that the beauty of the building somehow makes me a more spiritual person. This is one of the great advantages of our church not having a building. You couldn't possibly think that by coming to our public gathering, the building helped you become closer to God. I've thought about this many times. Would would you agree with me on this? If we could get a proper backdrop and, and a beautiful publishing studio, we'd probably have more hits on YouTube. You know how it is. Somebody clicks on it, and they see a guy sitting in his office. And I don't have any professional lighting. I don't have professional audio. We're, we, we don't sink a lot of money into that. I'm not against the people that have it. But we don't have it. You know some people will watch for about 15 seconds, 20 seconds and then click off. Why? It has nothing to do with what we're saying. But it's the packaging. It's the packaging. We've had people in this town... They've asked, where do you go to church? Oh, Bible Baptist, where do you meet? Where's your church? We meet at Bailey Park Primary School. Oh. Oh. As as if we've just offended them. (laughs) We just offered the swine's blood or cut off the dog's neck. (laughs) Shame on you. you. You know what I'm very happy about? Listen, I'm excited that one day we would have our own building. There are many advantages that come with that. So I'm not ashamed to, to move forward with that plan. But you know what I'm very excited about? We've, we've had this church open for eight and a half years. And before we have spent one rand on a building, we have spent thou- tens of thousands of rands on the mission field. Members of our church have moved to closed countries to get the gospel out. That to me is, is of a greater value than a precious or beautiful building not against the building but guys God's not looking for the beauty of the building you know what he is looking for there's a different temple there's a different temple that God is interested in do you remember this passage in first corinthians 6 your body is the temple of the holy ghost Your spirit and your body belongs to God and God desires to inhabit you as an individual, to fill you with his fullness. He he desires that his place of rest would be you as an individual. It's not the building, it's your body. It's you offering yourself willingly, saying, God, I desire to draw closer to you. Uh, continue to hold Isaiah 66 look at Revelation chapter 3 Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 20 Revelation 3 verse 20 Jesus says here behold I stand at the door and knock I think you're all familiar with where he's standing. He's at the door of the church of the Laodiceans. And he stands and he knocks. He's at the building. Do you know who's in the building? All the church members. They're in the building. Jesus is outside of the building. Knocking. What's he looking for? If any man hear my voice and open the door I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me he said "I, I desire to have intimate fellowship with you but he's not interested so much as hey you showed up and you're in the building so therefore I'm going to invite myself in and have favor on you that's not it he goes to the building and what's he looking for the person who is listening for his voice the person who, is, who who's shown up with a hungry heart waiting for that knock and to say, Lord, please, I want to hear from you. That's the guy Jesus is looking for. That's the one that will catch God's eye. Uh, come back to Isaiah 66, if you would, please. Isaiah 66. So it's not the building, it's your body. I, can I just give you food for thought before we move to the next point? You know that every human being is made up of three parts. There's the body, the soul, and the spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And the temple, right, and the tabernacle, they were made after the pattern of heavenly things. So I just want you to consider that the human being has three parts. The, the temple and the tabernacle also had three parts, you can just go and study that through on your own because it's a little outside of the scope of my sermon this morning but there's a very great lesson in that there's the outer portion then there's the holy place and then there's the most holy place your body, your soul, your spirit there's a great connection there but the place that God wants to abide to rest that's what he asked in Isaiah 66 look at verse 1 look at the end of it Where? is the house that you build unto me. Where is the place of my rest? The place that God seeks to abide and to dwell and to rest is the temple of your body. It's not the building. It's your body. The next thing I want to say, it's not the burnt offerings. It's not the burnt offerings. You can see in verse number three, we've read it already, they had the correct offerings. But in the sight of God, it equated to murder, uncleanness, and idolatry. Why? Because of the condition of their heart. They were coming, can I say it this way, they were coming to church and they were doing the proper religious things outwardly but God doesn't look as man look. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. He looks at why you've come this morning. He looks at why you've tuned in this morning. And that changes the way God views what you're doing. Is God against burnt sacrifices? No. No. As long as it comes first with a broken heart. It's not the burnt sacrifices, but a broken heart. Not a building, but your body. Not the burnt offerings, but a broken heart. That's what God's looking after. Uh, Look at verse 2. You can see it here. For all those things hath mine hand made and all those things have been, saith the Lord. You know, over there in Psalm chapter 50, God, there's almost a sarcastic tone to that Psalm. God is speaking in that chapter and he said, he says, you guys, you keep bringing your burnt offerings. He said, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. You say, which thousand hills? Pick any thousand you want and God owns all those cattle. He said, you guys are bringing me offering after offering. He said, if I were hungry, I'd tell you. (laughs) Now see, that's sarcasm. That's God being funny. (laughs) God says, listen, if if I needed a burger, if I wanted to have a braai, I know where to get you. (laughs) I would call you. He'd specifically call South Africans. (laughs) He knows where to get the meat. He says, if I were hungry, I'd let you know, but that's not what God's after. God's after that broken heart, He's after that right spirit. He says all these things that my hands have made it. The stars of the sky, the the, the mountains, the oceans, I, I did all of that. So if you're seeking to impress me by some great work of art or great religious outward motion, guys, I've I've made everything that you're putting together. What could you possibly build? what could you possibly do to impress him he tells you at the end of verse 2 to this man will I look even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word Jesus said it like this the father seeketh true worshipers let that sink in for a moment the father seeks true worshipers God is looking around what's he looking for People that genuinely want to worship him. People that are genuinely interested in drawing nigh to him. That gets God's attention. Let me say this about it God is not interested. I want to make sure we understand this properly. God is not interested in the guy who is constantly beating himself up and exaggerating all of the mistakes he makes. Do you understand? That's not humility. When, when you constantly hold your past mistakes against yourself and you refuse to forgive yourself because you feel, well, if I continue to beat myself up, then God will know how sorry I am. If God has forgiven you, you need to accept that forgiveness. Please don't feel as if you need to be excessive, excessive in your show of repentance. Say you're sorry, make it right, move on. Let me say this as well. God is not looking with favor on the guy who struggles to accept encouragement when he needs it. Some people when they get down they feel depressed and God sends help their way. God sends comfort. He, he sends a friend or a church member and they deliver a message of hope and say listen I'm praying for you. I appreciate you. I love you. And some people have for whatever reason, feel the need to push those people away. Accept the encouragement that God sends you. Say, but I'm poor. I don't deserve it. Right. That's why it's called grace. You're still allowed to accept what God is doing. I believe what God intends when He says the the man who is poor and of a contrite spirit, it's the guy who recognizes that he does have shortcomings He recognizes and admits that he has failed in various areas. But he also recognizes that God's mercy never fails. That God's mercy is new every morning. And despite those shortcomings, that the man himself does not accept, that he is trying to make right, he also knows that God wants to show mercy to him. And that man accepts that mercy. That's the guy that God's looking with favor upon. This is the man who believes what God says. When when God says, I want to have mercy, that man says, "I, I don't understand why you would want to do that for me, God, but I believe you. If you said it, I believe it. Even though it passes all of my understanding, if somebody had done to me what I had done to you, I may never forgive them. So God, I don't understand why why you would accept me, why you would throw your arms around me and love me and call me your own and, and kill the fatted calf and put the ring on my finger and the shoes on my feet and the robe and welcome me back. I don't understand it, but God, I believe you're that kind of God. God looks at that man and says, wow, there's not too many people that despite his lack of ability to understand me completely believes what I'm telling him. It's the guy who sees how much he needs the Lord. Now, that is a simple thing to say, but I want you to really think about that for a moment. Would you think about that? The person who sees how much they need the Lord. Do you realize how much of our day we go through in our own strength? Doing it our way. What about the person who stops and says, I don't want to go through another day and get to the end of it and say, well, I existed and I made it. I want to go through the day and be able to say this day was done God's way. I went to work and I did my job the way God wanted me to do it. I went home and I was the husband that God wanted me to be. I spent time with my children and I was the father that God intended for me to be. I spent time with my friends and I encouraged them. I edified them. We enjoyed each other's fellowship the way God intended for us to enjoy it. This is the man who sees the need to involve God in every area of his life. He sees that he by himself is not sufficient can he live his life without God he he can live life his way without God but he will not live a life that is satisfying and fulfilling unless he gets it right according to God I think the apostle Paul said it best you know what I'm going to say second best there's one, one person said it better But Paul said it very well when he said this, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. I believe that is a beautiful commentary on what it means to be poor. You don't want to read Isaiah 66 verse 2 and say, well, if I don't have money, then God looks on me with favor. That's not the kind of poverty we're looking at. If that were the case, wow, it would be very easy to gain God's favor. That's not the poor we're talking about. This is the man taking inventory of himself and saying, what do I have to offer God? What can I add to him? I have nothing to offer. Lord, I can only submit and do it your way. Paul, I, I think we can give him second place. Silver medal, gold medal is this. Jesus said it best. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Do you see how Isaiah 66.2 almost encapsulates that? It explains it. Even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit. This is the man who is poor in spirit. If you're poor, then you are needy. You are in need of assistance. And one of the dangers that a lot of people in a civilized culture find themselves as they believe themselves to be self-sufficient. What did the Laodicean church say? I am rich and increased with goods. What's the next part? And have need of nothing. All the while, Jesus is standing outside that church knocking at the door. They didn't have a walk with the Lord they didn't have fellowship with God they didn't have God's presence they were self sufficient not God sufficient hold your place in Isaiah please turn to Psalm chapter 40 David what a great illustration of this point a man who is poor and of a contrite spirit to be contrite means you're sorry for what you've done genuinely sorry if you tuned in a couple Sundays ago Garrett had a wonderful lesson about repentance so I won't re-explain everything he said there but he, he hit the theological nail on the head repentance is an ongoing thing in our lives it's an attitude in which we live but not one where we beat ourselves up constantly but where we recognize that we have fallen, that we do need God's help and mercy, always. David was aware of this. Psalm 40, look at verse 17 at the end of the chapter. David said, but I am poor and needy. Think about this for a moment. When David realized that his time was short, And he was not going to build the temple. God told him his son, Solomon, would build the temple. David gave Solomon the building plans. He was led by the Spirit to write the plans out, gave it to Solomon, said build the temple according to this plan. And then David gave an offering towards the building of the temple. If you were to equate that offering to modern day money, it equals over one billion dollars. What is that rand? 15 billion rand? One offering. So when we say, I am poor, right? If David says, I am poor, not financially, <laughs> he gave a, a, a 15 billion rand offering to the building project and it didn't even make a dent in his bank account. But David did not confuse his societal status. He didn't think that his bank account made him sufficient in the sight of god he said i am poor and needy yet the lord thinketh upon me david knew i cannot i cannot order the kingdom i cannot watch over the people i cannot live a satisfying life unless god's favor is resting upon me david is saying i'm not sufficient but the lord thinks upon me he says to God thou art my help and my deliverer make no tarrying O my God if you look at the life of David he was a very skilled man in many areas he could have easily left God out said I'll take care of it I can take down the giant I'm an expert with a sling and a stone he wasn't bad with a sword either as you find out later in his life He was a skilled musician. He was a talented writer. Right? We have the book of Psalms. He he had an abundance of natural abilities, yet he knew, if I don't have a strong relationship with God, all of those other things mean nothing. It's not the burnt offerings, but a broken heart. If you'd turn back to Isaiah 66, I want to just emphasize this part of the of verse 2 at the end of the verse to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word trembling at the word so many times we open up our Bibles to read them and it's a burden we have to really put down the flesh and push through you know get a chapter or two in so that we can feel as if well at least I read my Bible today What if you opened it up with a different fresh attitude and said God this book I don't deserve to have. These are your instructions for me. These are living words that can speak to my soul that can change my life. These are things that I can apply today. Make me a better husband, father, employee, employer, whatever the case is. Think about the times in your life when you have trembled when you're extremely excited about something have you ever seen a little kid and and mom and dad says okay we're going to go we're going to take you to this special place but you have to wait that have you ever seen a little kid wait before they get to go they they can't stand still right they there's that's trembling they just that's excitement Have you ever seen when a, a young man gets down on one knee in front of his unsuspecting girlfriend? She doesn't see it coming. Right? But this young man, he's done it well. He's planned it. He's planned it well, and he's caught her by surprise. Now, she's very excited that the question is about to be asked. She knows what's coming. And you know what usually happens right then? It's uncontrollable. She just. <laughs> That, I don't know what this is, but... That, are you fanning yourselves? Is that what it is? Are you overheating? <laughs> You're so excited. <laughs> That's trembling. You're so excited. <gasps> you know why? This, this man loves me so much. He's about to ask me this question. It's so important. It's a big deal. You should be excited, right? I'd like to say it only happens once in a lifetime, but... <laughs> the day and age in which we live, that's not a guarantee, but it should happen once in a lifetime. You, you know, when you, approach, when you approach this book, imagine if you were to tremble at it you say, oh my goodness, there, there's this wonderful man that's seated at the right hand of God and nobody in heaven or earth or under the earth is worthy to open the seals of this book but the Lamb has prevailed He has opened the book he, and now He is offering it to me we read in Luke chapter 10 where Mary you might remember the story Martha her sister is busy running about cooking and serving and taking care of everything she's cumbered the Bible says with much service And she rebukes her sister Mary. Mary's just sitting there at the feet of Jesus listening to everything that he says. Drinking in every word. And Jesus rebukes Martha and says, Martha, Martha, thou art troubled with much service, but Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken from her. Why? Because when she had a chance to hear the words of Christ... Everything else was put aside. Oh, the master's here. And he gets to, he's going to speak to me. I can hear it straight from the lips of Jesus. This is, this is a big deal. Trembling at his word because you realize just how important it is to hear from God. When God finds a person like that, that person catches his eye. God says, no, you don't see that every day. That's not something you see in town very much. Look at that. That's something special. So, folks, it's not the building. It's the body that he wants to inhabit. It's not the burnt offerings. It's the broken heart. And in verse 5, I'm going to close in th- with, by saying this. The man who does happen to catch God's eye, the person that receives this favor, they are blessed beyond measure. Blessed beyond measure. Verse 5, Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at His word. Your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, Let the Lord be glorified. But, he shall appear to your joy and they shall be ashamed. Now, the way that this is is meant, it's a prophecy about the future. That one day the Messiah will come and the truth will come out. The religious crowd that were going through the motions in the temple, they had cast out these these God-fearing people. And when the Messiah comes, the promise is he will set the record straight. And say, those people that society cast out, those were the right worshipers. So you have this hope that one day I'll no longer be put down and ashamed. You'll have great joy as you stand in the presence of God. But I believe there's a present application we can make to it as well. It says at the end of the verse, He shall appear to your joy. Now, yes, it's a prophecy about his physical appearance, but I believe the Lord can appear to you, even now, spiritually. And the people in the sphere of your life, they may not understand why you feel the way you do about God. They may not understand why you're so excited about Jesus Christ. Why are you so into the Bible? Quoting Bible all the time. Bible, Bible, Bible. Why why are you like this? They may not understand. But the Lord will appear to you individually and give you a joy and a peace that passes all understanding. That allows you to ignore all of the rebuke, all of the jesting of the people around you you're not worried about their opinion because you've impressed the only person that matters. And God can make that known to you. You can come with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. I was speaking with a church member just yesterday, what great news this person gave me. Person, there's a long story behind it, but the short version is this they've struggled their entire life to accept love. Stems from a long problem in their past with their childhood and whatnot. This person told me they've recently gone through something very difficult, very difficult, very scary. This person said for the first time, I allowed God to work and to move and I accepted what he was doing and this person said, Pastor, I actually felt special. I felt like God was right there with me every step of the way and even before I knew that everything was okay, which by the way it did turn out great, before I got to the good news of it all, God had made his presence real in my life as if he had wrapped his arms around me. He made me feel special. That is the blessing beyond measure. That's the person that catches God's eye and says, now I'm drawing nigh to God. God says, I'll draw nigh to you. Take a look at John 14, verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them My commandments, not the Ten Commandments, but the things that Jesus has been teaching. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Notice the personal nature of it, just to him. Verse 22, Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot. There was another Jude there. Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? You see, if it was something physical, everybody would be able to see it. But it's not something physical. It's a spiritual thing. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Where is the place of my rest? It's with the man who is hanging on every word that comes from the lips of Christ. The man that says, I am not smart enough to live my life in a satisfying, fulfilling way. Not by myself, God. You have to order my steps. I have to know what you desire. You're the one I aim to please. I read recently, if you folks ever need something good and edifying to read I highly suggest you get A.W. Tozer's books this is one of his books called Worship and I, the reason I'm reading this sentence to you I, when I read it in Tozer's book I thought that's exactly what I've been trying to say so many times so hopefully in the mouth of two or three witnesses this gets established Until you have experienced the manifested presence of God. You understand, God is present everywhere. You can't escape God, He's everywhere. But His manifested presence, when you feel the favor of God, when you recognize Him in your life, there is something so satisfying about that, so fulfilling. That is why we were created. God made us so that we could fellowship intimately with Him. And if you have not achieved that, there's something missing from your life no matter how many other achievements you have, you have reached. Until you've reached this, until you've caught God's eye, you will not feel complete or whole. Tozer said it like this, Oh, how I wish I could adequately set forth the glory of that one who is worthy to be the object of our worship. I'm so glad Tozer said it. Haven't you heard me say this before? I try to talk about the glory of God or how great He is and I'll never be able to do it. I I can't explain how great that is. Tozer said, I wish I could do it adequately. I do believe that if our new converts the babes in Christ could be made to see His thousand attributes and even partially comprehend His being they would become faint with a yearning desire to worship and honor and acknowledge Him now and forever if you could just get a taste then for the rest of your days you would tremble at the idea of having more of God's presence. Your soul would pant after God. If I can just be one sentence further tedious to you. Tozer in another one of his books called The Presence of God, Experiencing the Presence of God, he quotes another author and says this, Man's highest perfection is union with God in consummate love. That means complete love. A destiny so high and so pure in itself and so far from human thought that it cannot be known or imagined as it really is. Which is another way of saying it's too good to put to words. That's what we're aiming for. Blessed beyond all measure. The mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This is the man, the blessed man. Blessed is the poor in spirit. I'm asking you this morning, have you caught God's eye? Let's all stand if you would please. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And just for a moment, Botma will play something quietly in the background and we'll give you a moment just to think on what you've heard those of you at home this is a time for you as well to look at not only what you're doing but why you're doing it what is the purpose of all these religious motions that you go through are you truly concerned with God's opinion of you? Do you acknowledge how greatly you need Him in every area of your life? You can do your job your way. You'd probably do a good job. But that may not be God's way. The same goes for being a husband, a father, a mother, a wife. Are you the person God wants you to be? So I'm not sure if I measure up in every area. That's why we tremble at His Word. God has given us instructions for every part of our life. Now if you know how important it is, to find out what he said about it you'll tremble at it Lord thank you this morning for your assistance how, how could we ever put to words how special it is when you manifest yourself to us Lord what greater compliment could you give a, a human being than to look on us with favor we don't, Lord, we don't uh, deserve to catch your eye. That's for sure. Lord, as I understand it, you're looking for this. You want this deepness of a relationship. Help each individual, both the ones here and the ones listening at home, myself as well. Lord, help us to approach with a genuine genuine hunger and a thirst after you perhaps Lord if somebody is not saved might today they take you at your word that if they call upon your name if they genuinely repent that you will receive them Fathers, we depart. Please, please, God, let these words linger in our hearts. Help us to do something about it this week. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.